Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, hosted by two entrepreneurs, Chris Beoso and Armando Pantoja. Tune in to learn more about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast, hosted by myself, Chris, and Armando. If this is your first time tuning into the Latin Wealth Podcast, we drop a new episode every single Friday of the week. So come join the community. Come join the family. We're doing a lot of great things um, on the podcast. Armando, how are you doing today? I'm great, man. Man, that's that's good. That's good. Um, You know, I'm super excited about today's episode. You know, we have a young lady on that I've had on my platform and she she's about her business. She she knows what she's talking about. You know, there's a lot of people out there that um they they talk a lot, but they don't really walk the walk. And this is someone that I that she's doing that. You know, she's putting where, her money where her mouth is and um I can definitely appreciate what she's doing. Um so a little bit about my our guest today. She is a bilingual financial educator. She educates through platforms like YouTube, Instagram, and she also have an has an investing workshop where she offers private mentoring, money and investing guides, and a lot more resources on her uh, platform. And the great thing is everything's in English and Spanish. Oh, that's great. So that's super cool. So uh, welcome, Julie, a.k.a. Investing Latina. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Absolutely. Thank you for giving us a piece of your time and jumping on the podcast. Um, you know, on this podcast, we like to jump right into it, jump right into your your background and you growing up. And, you know, we would love for you just to tell us how you became Investing Latina. Yes, for sure. So uh, my story is that I was born in the Dominican Republic and I moved to Brooklyn, New York with my family when I was four years old. Um, I ended up going to public school here. I ended up studying at a state school, FIT. I followed what my passion was. Um, which was fashion design. And I got the really amazing honor of working with people like Mr. Ralph Lauren himself. It was super cool. And one of the really uh, amazing things that happened while I was working with him is I understood what it meant to run a business. And because of that, because of that inspiration and because of being with him behind the scenes, working on this huge brand that he, this huge global brand that he has, I went back to school and I took on global business management and economics. And essentially the wheel started to turn when I started to learn about how money function in the world from a macro perspective and also micro, what that means for us on a day-to-day basis. Um, But I was still working in the fashion industry. And ultimately I ended up going into the business, um, getting a lot of lifestyle inflation. I got into a lot of debt really quickly. And ultimately, I had to like get myself out of it. And there were a lot of things in life. Um, I believe in, in just the way that the world functions and how we're placed in certain certain positions in life. And ultimately, I had to make the choice. Did I want to continue living through that rat race, through the lifestyle inflation, like just trying to keep up with the Joneses? Or did I want to live a different life? And I chose a different life. Mm -hmm. And I paid off my debt. And I luckily started investing pretty early. I was 19. um, And I started to like dig further into it and lean further into that curiosity And then in 2019, I ended up starting Investing Latina. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, I'm going to teach three important things that were important to me, which was building credit after I messed mine up, investing in the stock market, because I started 
so early on and kind of figure things out on my own and also real estate because I ended up buying property a couple of years ago and that's how I started. And now it's become this really awesome project. It was really a little side hustle. And uh, I really didn't make, I actually didn't make any money off of investing Latino the first year mm. because I was just sharing content and doing stuff for that. I enjoyed, I really liked answering people's questions. And then when, when after enough asking for a workshop, I launched a workshop mm. a year ago. The Love goal it. was 1,000 students, and now we're up to 7,000 students. So wow. it's really an honor. It's a blessing for me to be able to talk about something that I really enjoy talking about. Absolutely. So there's a lot to unpack there. There's a couple things I want to touch on. The first thing is you said you you uh, worked with Ralph Lauren, and there's some things that you learned about business with working with him. What are like two things, two big things that you learned from working with with somebody like that? Yeah. So the number one thing was always that the business that we were in, which is fashion merchandise. I mean, when we talk about the the fashion business, it's a multi-billion dollar industry and it actually has nothing to do with clothing. Mm. It has everything to do with branding and it has everything to do with storytelling. And so, you know, I worked on a couple of collections that walked down the runway and it was always about telling a really compelling story and connecting with that audience, the people that are really looking for that newness and for something exciting. Um, People are always looking to feel mm -hmm. <laughs> something. Yeah. And that's really what we did when we bought, when we showed things walking down the runway. And so that was something that was really great. And then the second thing that I learned from him is definitely being a good person. Mm. Anybody that has worked with him directly will tell you how cool of a person he is. From the beginning, uh, even starting out, I was, you know, an assistant and he treats everybody exactly the same with the utmost respect. And that's something that you feel also and that you and I personally respected and admired from him. And I try to also be that way. No, that's pretty dope because you hear about the fashion industry and you hear it's like super cutthroat. Give yeah. Me, give, me, give me my coffee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just craziness. <laughs> um, so that's cool that someone that high um, you know, it still presents them in a way where he's super respectable. And he looks at everybody yeah. the same, you know, so I love that. Um, you also mentioned um, a term you said inflated. What was the term you used? Inflated. Well, lifestyle, lifestyle inflation. inflation. Yeah. Lifestyle inflation and, and debt and whatnot. So if you can uh, walk us through that journey briefly, because I know um, in our community, you know, we're always trying to keep up with the Joneses. Um, mm -hmm. What were some of the ways that you navigated yourself out of that mindset? Um, and give us some like practical steps. Yeah. Um, and I love that you mentioned specifically, like in our community, how this affects us in many ways. And I think it has a lot to do with that immigrant mindset that mm. I personally went through, um, you know, just changing environments completely. I definitely I was very young when I came here, but I remember those first couple of days really, really vividly mm. in my mind because it was complete culture shock. You know, I was I was in school. I was at a public school in Brooklyn with people from all walks of life, from all different cultures. And it was kind of shocking to me. I had to pick up English real quick, which, you know, at that age is, is much easier to do. Um, but ultimately, we try are always trying to assimilate. We're always trying to um, sometimes really not stand out and be more like the people that are around us. And I think that that happens a lot when you move. You know, I lived in the Dominican Republic. And everyone is, is, you know, 
when you come to the U.S., it's like, oh, you know, you're rich now and you have to do these things and you have to bring back everything um, for family back home. And when you go back, you have to look a certain way and do certain things. So there's this like really high expectation of what um, success and wealth look like. And uh, for a lot of people, it truly is like a physical embodiment. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that I thought to be true for a very, very long time, especially working in the fashion industry. So I, as soon as I graduated, I bought myself a Chanel bag. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm like living, <laughs> living the life I have to like, uh, celebrate and, you know, mm -hmm. um, show, show love to myself. But really it wasn't, that really wasn't what I was doing. I mean, mm -hmm. we we're just literally trying to just fit in ultimately at the end of the day. And it can be hard, you know, mm -hmm. it's definitely hard. Lifestyle inflation is a real thing. As I, as I started making more and more money, I went into sales and marketing. So different from when I was working in design, you don't make money when you're in design, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're in sales and when you're in marketing, you definitely make a lot of money. And I was traveling and I was just like, you know, living the life, but then it, it, snowballed and got mm. really out of control. You know, I definitely was not keeping a budget at all. Mm. <laughs> and I really didn't have um, a mission. I didn't have a goal. I didn't know what I was doing with my money. And that took some time to kind of think about and, and reassess and ultimately like carve out what are those goals going to be for me? What is it that I really want to do? No, that's, that's super dope. So after uh, you, you come out of that mindset and you start paying off your debt and now you're sitting like, okay, I don't want to live like that again i don't want to go through that again um and you now have this mindset of i should start parking my money in different places my money should have a use where did that mindset come from where did that come from did you just start reading books and whatnot and on top of that what were like the first couple of investments that you started to make yeah so i when i was 19 i had a 403b and I had access to it because I was working at a nonprofit organization, even while I was in college and they offered it. There was like no requirement on how long you had to be there, which is such a cool thing. I feel like that doesn't really exist in many places. Um, but I started contributing right away to it. And um, I started really seeing that account grow. And because this was during the last recession, 2008, 2009, I, I was starting when the market was at the bottom. I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> I didn't understand that that's where we were back then. Uh, mm -hmm. But of course, in hindsight, we you see the charts. And that time, the market was super, super low. Everything was on sale, as they say, right? And um, I started with target date funds. And I did that for, for some time. Um, after working at the nonprofit, I went to, uh, I was working at Ralph Lauren. I was also contributing to my retirement accounts through there. And I did that all the way through um, working in corporate, which I ended up working in corporate through 2017. And that's what I focused on target date funds. And I, every, every time a statement came in the mail, I started to read them and I started to dig in a little further and I started to understand more. I started to see the companies that I was invested in by investing into these mutual funds. And then ultimately my investment strategy where since then rather has definitely changed a little bit, mm. um, less mutual funds. I, uh, less target date funds, um, when it comes to investing, there are also like a lot of industry trends that are out there and index funds are definitely a big industry uh, trend, we can say in some ways uh, right now. And so so my investments are in there. I picked up investing in cryptocurrencies. 
I also invested, like I mentioned a little earlier, into real estate. So for me, it's all about diversification because I come from that background of being in corporate America and being so restricted and Mm -hmm. feeling kind of suffocated by that world. So for me, it's always about how do you diversify and come up with something that works really well for you. Mm. I I have a question. I mean, uh, maybe a little off track here, but you said you talk about three things, right? Uh, So it's real estate, uh, investing, uh, stock market investing. Stock market. And also, uh, what was the third one? What was uh, the third one? It was uh, credit, credit. credit. That's credit, actually the question I was going to ask. So, uh, so let me ask you a question. So, why do you think? And I don't know. I know you know about credit, keeping a good score, or whatever. But I don't know the. Why do you think uh, minorities in general have uh, such a problem with credit scores? Like, what what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I think that the problem comes from the lack of education and the mistrust or 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 lack of trust in the system itself, because oftentimes even my parents, when they came here, they really didn't try to get any sort of credit cards or they weren't even dealing with banks at all because of things they've heard, you know, and as soon as someone has a negative experience um, that that trickles down and people talk about it, people love talking about bad experiences um, more so than good experiences a lot of times. But the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, regardless of people's experiences, is that the Latin community has always been targeted because our uh, the language barrier uh, you know, the the miscommunication that there could be when you're opening up accounts and when you're trying to invest into something. Yeah. So it's really tricky. And, and I think that um, credit scores, there's a formula to it. And once yeah. you know it, it's it's very simple. You know, you pay your, your minimum payments and you try not to miss and uh, you increase by uh, increase your credit line by asking for those credit increases. But a lot of people don't know those simple, simple steps. And it's the reason why people have these bad credit scores. And ultimately, it creates a psychological barrier because now seeing that you have a negative credit score or, or a bad credit score, let's say, makes you feel like you're bad at money mm. and you are not doing what you're supposed to be doing, um, which especially if you're in a position where you're just trying to keep your family fed and trying to keep things together and trying to learn all kinds of things at the same time, it's rough, you know? So I think that that's one of the big reasons why, and that's the reason why I really wanted to just share those simple messages to people in Spanish and Espanol so mm-hmm. that, you know, we all know what's going on, how it functions. Um, and ultimately we have to also be aware that things are going to change. You know, there's the the advantage score now. So now we're, we're talking about changing the entire system, you know, the credit scoring system. And, and those are just things that we have to constantly keep our communities um, in the know of. Right, right. All right. Uh, I have another question. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's uh, there was some there's some talk that I've heard that said that the credit scoring system could be culturally biased. Do you have any opinions on that? Well, when it comes to credit scores, ultimately you're they're looking at the history that people have and if you are are a first gen, if you are someone that is an immigrant, you're already going to get dinged for that, right? So yes, absolutely, there is going to be cultural bias in there. There is going to be um ways that people are going to already see that oh wait, no, you don't you don't um you don't qualify for these type of exactly. things. That goes even beyond credit scores. We're talking to, and you know, credit score is a tool that's used in all kinds of financial systems 
when it comes to buying a home, it's a big thing. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. we're in the process of, of my partner and I in the process of buying a condo out here. And that's the number one thing that you're asked. You know, if you don't have a good credit score, a realtor is not going to even look your way. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, it's, it's, there are definitely things in systemically that hold people of color back, the Latin community, the black community that really needs to be changed. And I think that's really the reason why people are pushing to make changes in, in what, in how the system currently is. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, when we communicate with our platform on the Latin wealth, you know, we ask people like, what are some of the things that are holding you back from investing, you know, and some of the most common answers that we get all the time is I don't have enough knowledge. I don't know enough about it, you know, or they don't have the money to invest. Those are typically the things that hold people back on our in our community. And we really want to help people overcome those challenges, right? Um, so w- what are some of the ways that you would suggest, you know, helping people overcome those challenges? And I know it, it depends on what you're looking at. You want to invest in crypto, uh, real estate, the stock market. Um, but give some people out there some practical advice on how they can overcome those two barriers. Something that's really important that we all need to understand is how much the financial system has changed in the Mm -hmm. last five years. The barriers that were that existed when I started investing 12, 13 years ago um, don't exist anymore. So the reason I was able to invest into the stock market as easily as I did was because I had this job that offered this type of account. As the world is changing and less people have these corporate jobs and we have so much more people working in a gig economy, we really have to adapt to those things and we have to change the way that we look at things, right? And the financial system and the people that work in these systems, they know that and they see that and they're like, oh my God, like, listen, we have to switch things up. If people, if these barriers existed and it means that we're, we're, we're going to have less customers, that is not what we want. We Mm -hmm. want more customers. We want people to come in. We want people to spend money, to use their money, to invest. Cause we have to keep in mind that this is still a service at the end of the day. And we're all paying to invest. Investing comes at a cost. It does not cost $0 to invest. Mm -hmm. It's not all rainbows. Like, Oh yeah. Put your money in and you're going to get this return. Right, right, Amazing. Right. No, it costs you every single month to invest into whatever you're investing in, right? Uh, in one way or another, whether it be management fees, straight up admin fees, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, extra um, add-ons when you're buying a specific stock, all those kind of things. At the end of the day, investing costs you. However, the barriers that existed before literally five years ago, don't exist anymore. We have apps that have been able to create algorithms that literally do the work for you. So Mm. if you really feel like you're stuck and you don't know where to start, you have to understand that there are people that are thinking about that problem and that are helping solve that problem. And that's why we have algorithm-based investing. And that's why companies like Robinhood and SoFi um, really have taken down all of those barriers and said, listen, if you want to invest and if you feel you can do it on your own, literally, here you go. Here's a stock market. Mm. And, and I think that that's something that's really important for people to know and also understand that you don't have to have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, those barriers that I mentioned a little earlier meant having a thousand dollars to start investing in a mutual fund. 
or $3,000, right? Uh, so those don't exist anymore. Now you can buy ETFs that could cost you $100. And, and there's index funds that have been started recently that will cost you only $15 to get started. So why would you not invest? Why would you not get yeah. started when something just costs $15? Something that could be a foundation for you to literally build up an account that is a six-figure account, or if you choose a million dollar account, whatever your goals are. Mm, love that, love that. Um, you mentioned a couple of different terms that I wanna make sure it's clear to the audience and the community. You said index funds, ETS. Um, I think you mentioned dividends. Break down what these terms are. What, what, what are these things? How can people get into investing in these ETFs, you know, dividends and index funds? Um, and you mentioned a six figure uh, portfolio. How can people even get started doing that? You know, a lot of people, they can't even wrap their mind around like, yo, I can have a six figure account or a million dollar account. How is that possible? If you can break that down for them, that'd be great. Sure. Absolutely. I'll start with like my personal experience mm -hmm. to kind of illustrate how, the different types of ways that you can invest. So I started investing in what's called a target date fund. That target date fund was literally a box that I checked off where I calculated what year I was going to be 65 years old, mm -hmm. retirement age. And so that target date fund was 2055, right? So 2055 was a target date fund. Within that fund, there's a mix of investments and a mix of what we call securities, types of things that you can invest in within the market. And that included stocks, you know, the popular things that you see, Apple, Google, Facebook, aka Meta now, mm -hmm. all those types of stocks. There's also bonds in there. There's also other cash-like um, instruments that are in there. So when you, you, when you see the word fund in general, you're just always talking about a grab bag, a mix of mm -hmm. things, a basket. I, a lot of times, like to illustrate it like a fruit basket. So that fruit basket was right at the front of the supermarket. I didn't have to go in deeper and pick individual fruits. I just picked up the fruit basket that was right at the end of the aisle and it said 2055 on it. Cool. Mm. And what that does also, um, literally, as, as time goes by, the things that are in that basket start to shift and change. And so when you get closer to retirement, as you get older, that basket does work where it says, okay, you no longer can be investing into these risky stocks. You know, let's say Tesla can be considered like a, a risky, uh, volatile type of stock. Um, let's give you more cash-like things like a bond, you know, something that's mm -hmm. going to be closer to cash so that you're prepared to take that money out, um, especially in a year where if the market is lower, you still have that money available in there, right? So that was, that was target date fund. That was how I started. Fast forward, index funds. Index funds are really awesome because they're the sim a similar idea. So it's still a basket and it's still a mix of different stocks. Um, but what makes a target day fund really, uh, an index fund, excuse me, really cool is that unlike a target day fund, it is um, not as expensive. So remember, I mentioned that it costs, it costs us money to invest into the market. And once you start learning more and more, your job is to make sure that you're trying your best to keep your expenses really low. And so that's why a target day fund is really just going to not have that mechanism of change. And it's just going to mirror what a specific index in the market is. Mm. And an index is really going to mean um, a category, right? So it, this category is called 
the S&P 500. These are the top 500 companies in the US, right? And they're in that category. So you can buy an index fund that mirrors the top 500 companies. You can also have an index fund that mirrors the total stock market. So all the market, all the stocks that are in the market are going to be in that fund. So it means that you're just going to get little tiny slithers of these companies, mm-hmm. but you're getting into them, right? And so uh, a target day fund and an index fund, they function in different ways. One is less expensive than the other. And, and that's essentially where you can kind of start analyzing instead of, or, or deciding rather, instead of me having to do all of this research right now, because I'm overwhelmed by all this information, let me start with these funds. And then as I learn, and as I grow within my journey, I can go a different route and choose other types of investments as well that you can just layer on top of that. No, that was really well said. And um, some of these index funds and these ETFs, for the people out there that don't know, where can they go invest at? You mentioned Robinhood. Is that a platform that people can use to invest on? And do you recommend starting at Robinhood or somewhere else? Yeah. So when it comes to the recommendation, and actually, let me circle back with ETFs only because I realized I didn't include that definition, but or that explanation of what it is, an ETF is similar to that the index fund that I mentioned, like S&P 500, the top 500 companies. There will be an ETF that will be created just like that. The only difference between an, an ETF and that index fund is that an ETF is, the definition of it is exchange traded fund. Hmm. So the price of it goes up and down. So that's a little point that you have to acknowledge um, that's different from an index fund. An index fund only gets priced once a day. At the end of the day, that's it. Mm. So they function a little bit differently. Um, I think an ETF gives people a little bit more pricing control because it goes up and down. So you can kind of choose your price a little bit more. Not that that's something that I totally recommend for, especially for a beginner, or even if you're long-term investing, it doesn't really matter what price you're getting it at. What matters is that you're consistently investing. So that's just the difference between the two. And you can absolutely go to many different platforms. I um, don't think that any platform is bad or good. I'll be very honest with you. I don't think there is a platform that is completely flawless. Amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like there just isn't, it doesn't exist. I'm still waiting on it. (laughs) I'm still like, where is that perfect platform? It doesn't exist. Um, But of course they all have their pros and cons. There's older platforms that have been around from the forties and sixties, like Fidelity and Vanguard. They literally have trillions and trillions of dollars under management. So I oftentimes tell my students go there because they've been around a long time. And that doesn't mean that they will be around for a long time, but they do have a lot of history. And I like that. So that's why I recommend that versus something newer like Robinhood and even SoFi, which I love and use all the time. Um, they've been around, one has been around 10 years, SoFi, and the other one, Robinhood has been around, I think just four years, five mm-hmm. years. Um, so it's, it's different. It doesn't, and, and really you can, if you go to an older one, you're going to have much, many more options. They'll they'll have mutual funds, they'll have target date funds, they'll have index funds because they've already been in the game. So they know this stuff. They've created these things like the most popular index funds are created by Vanguard and the least expensive index funds, the lowest price index funds is created by Fidelity. So why not, you know. I'm not getting paid by them, but hello, it makes sense, right? Why would I not go there? 
I oftentimes have called them like the TJ Maxx and the Marshalls of mm. investing. Like, why would you go to Macy's <laughs> pay full price or Neiman Marcus pay full price when you could just go to, to TJ Maxx or Marshalls and get that, that low price? Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I know a lot of my students that have started because they started on Robinhood. And they started with an individual stock and they were just like, I need to get started and I'm going to do this. And I still appreciate that. And I respect that. I respect that Robin Hood has been able to bring so many new investors into this world. Um, so I'll never take that away from them. Uh, but they also don't offer a lot of options, you know, so mm-hmm. it's just like, here, this is it. You got access to the stock market. This is, we don't really have fancy stuff. We don't have funds. We don't, you know, they do offer a, a, a couple of ETFs now, but it's not as complete. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference. So you can ultimately decide which way you want to go, but, but there's definitely options out there. Yeah. J- just out of curiosity, what would be the perfect platform to you? I know there's like a lot of features, <laughs> but like, what is the, what does that look like to you? So the perfect platform, I think, will have a combination of an amazing user experience, which I think the young apps do have. It looks good. It's easy to understand. It's very direct. And then have that whole, that complexity and that um, oomph and and all of the, the options that an older financial institution has. So until somebody really merges that together, I feel like we're not going to be in the place where we have a great, a great um, resource, an amazing resource, rather, you know, like an mm-hmm. A plus plus resource, right, right. Um, you know, and ultimately like education, you know, if you're focusing on education, which I think some, some of them, there are some that have uh, nice educational pages and, and they're working on it, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I mean, we're talking about Latin wealth, None of these places have full blown mm. Spanish places, Spanish um, platforms. Good point. That people that do not speak English, Good cannot point. read English, can easily navigate. So it's a huge, huge miss for all of them. And it's actually kind of a shame, you know, um, when Spanish is the second most spoken language in the world, only after Mandarin. Um, so yeah, that, there's that too. And maybe a business opportunity. Yeah. I know, that's right? My <laughs> background's in software engineering. So <laughs> oh well, well, you know, here we go. Now you know where, where my mind yeah. is at and where I'm going with this. Wow. Um, I think it's it's super, super important. And I've been doing this, I've been teaching since 20 to, since 2019, you know, and so it's I'm I've only been teaching three years at this point. But with all of the connections that I've built with these people that are really going through these things, I understand where their pain points are. I understand what it is that they're looking for, what they don't have, what, you know, what their struggles are. And, um, you know, I see this as this particular career and this passion as a lifelong career. So 30 years from now, I hope to look back and say, you know, I did something to help change that. Absolutely. And uh, and I think that that is truly what our people are looking for. That's beautiful, beautiful. One, well said. Um, I want to shift just a little bit. Um, you mentioned cryptocurrency um, earlier. I want to know your thoughts about that and maybe some of your strategies, you know, because this is a little bit more riskier, a lot more volatile than everything that you've been talking about. Um, you know, talk to us about you jumping into that. Oh, my gosh. So. I mean, with the people that are listening to this podcast, you might not find this as a surprise, but the Latin community is much more 
comfortable investing into cryptocurrencies than they are investing into the stock market. It's kind of crazy to think about, but really the reason behind that, in my opinion, is because of what I mentioned earlier, that that lack of trust in financial markets. Mm -hmm. And when we're investing into the stock market, when we're investing into um, uh, public companies, we're truly investing into people. People that are running these companies, we're going to depend on the decisions that each CEO makes. And uh, I think that comes into play when it comes when it comes to choosing where to invest. But with cryptocurrencies, not only is it decentralized, not only is it more um, open, it's extremely transparent. Mm -hmm. And aside from all of that, it's the asset that has had the most explosive growth. So hello, (laughs) when you're thinking about it, you're like, oh, if I got a hundred dollars, am I going to put it into, you know, and of course, no shade to our index funds. Am I going to put it in S&P 500 fund that it's going to eventually get me 10% or do I want to put it into a crypto that's going to get me uh, 10,000%, right? So, so I think that that's definitely a big part of it. All of that being said, of course, like you said, it's an extremely volatile security. It's an extremely volatile investment. So you have to definitely pace yourself. You know, Mm, I am all about all all of us investing in different ways and testing stuff out. But you have to pace yourself and you have to have an overall strategy. And it's very difficult to say, like, what percentage I know when you talk to experts, um, that have been um, investing in the stock market for so long, because you think about the stock market, it's been around for decades. It's actually been around for over a hundred years, but the way that it exists now, it's been like this for a couple, for decades now, but the crypto market has been around for one decade. Mm. So it's a teenager, it's a baby. And, and so it's hard for there to be many experts in an industry where there is, that hasn't even been around very long. So My point was that sometimes um, investment professionals will say, oh, only invest 1%, 2%, you know, a small amount into crypto. And honestly, I think for our community and for communities, minorities, communities of color that have are still suffering through a a wage gap and a wealth gap in so many ways, it's tough to really think about that advice and take it Mm -hmm. seriously because it's like, we got a lot to catch up on. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a lot of struggle within our communities that that we have to fix, that we have to work on. So I don't know if I want to listen to that advice. But that, of course, also means that you have to understand that it could be up 10,000% today and tomorrow it could could be down 10,000%. So you want to have a very clear strategy. Right. So for me personally, I'll share mine. I plan on all the all the cryptos that I'm investing in. I'm in it for a while, Mm. at least eight years, you know, so I'm buying, I'm buying and I'm and I have a strategy for it. I have a target amount that I want to have of the 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 two that I focus on, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum, because they have the most use and they're the most um, integrated within our world right now. And um, once I reach that, you know, I'll, I'll do something else. And, and so just having a very clear path on what you're trying to do is important. But absolutely explore. Like, don't let people tell you, oh, don't do this. Don't mm. do that. Like, no, you we got to go out and we got to We got to get it because we are behind and we have to do everything we can to 
to not only survive for ourselves and for our family, but make sure that we're thriving in the best way possible. Yep. Love that. Any question, Amanda? I don't have anything. Oh yeah, I do have one actually. Okay. So, uh, you know, I, I, I devil, I, I get into crypto and stocks a little bit, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, but like I said, is, uh, is the one thing, and I'm going to ask your opinion on this, one thing that kind of concerns me is that with the stock market over the last two years, with crypto gains over the last, what, 10 years, uh, and especially like you like like what you said is that a lot of uh, Latinos are more comfortable with crypto because the crypto gains are so high. It's like, it, it, you know, it's hard to ignore it. But mm-hmm. what is this going to do to the psyche of people? Uh you know, but where where ten thousand percent becomes the norm, mm. right? And then you know, eventually, you with crypto is unsustainable. Eventually, though, if you I've been in crypto for ten years, you know, and the, the gains are coming down. You know, Bitcoin's down what three percent today. Mm-hmm. And when I was getting crypto in two thousand thirteen, it would go up twenty thirty percent a day like it was nothing. Wow. Yeah, you know, but so the volatility is coming down over time. As more people in the market, derivatives coming to the market, uh, corporations, institutions. The volatility is going out, so eventually you won't get those gains, right? But what is, what do you think is going to happen to the psyche of everybody who's been expecting this? Like a lot of times, I hear people say, like you say, look, a stock market gains you can get twenty percent a year, you know, if you're lucky. And people twenty percent, I can get that in one day in crypto. And people, <laughs> especially the younger generation, are starting to believe this is normal. Yeah. Like, and I, I kind of get afraid that they're going to go into you know later on in later years thinking that this is all normal. And like in nine percent a year, ten percent a year won't even be acceptable anymore. So, what do you think about all that? Uh, they're gonna be in for a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. And yeah. I think that's the case when you're young and you're like, oh my god, yes, like this is yeah. amazing. This is all I gotta do. I don't even care. It is. I feel like what we go through in every single generation. I definitely thought like that. Like I was spending yeah. my money like crazy. I was like, oh, I don't need to worry about retirement. Um, until you go through a situation where you're like, oh, damn, I, I messed up, you know, and um, I think everybody kind of goes through that when it comes to their investing yeah. journey. Um, the best thing that you could do is continue to tune in, continue to listen, continue to explore, do research so that you can uh, not only earn money because, yes, these returns, they look amazing and they're awesome. And it's really nice when you look at your portfolio and it's up so much. Uh, but the other part about building wealth is protecting your assets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And if you're being reckless and if you're not thinking about other options and other opportunities, you're not protecting your assets. So, you know, I think that that's where, where it's going to be. This is, we know that this is unusual. Like I, I would, I would say us since we've been around a little longer, like we know this is unusual and we know that this is not going to, this is not the norm, but to your point, I do agree that the young people probably think that this is the norm and will not want to accept anything less, but unfortunately that's just not how things work. And um, the last thing I wanted to say was definitely um, when something is new, of course, there's immense opportunity. You know, Mm -hmm. if you were the one that founded Facebook, you're going to have immense opportunity. Right. And things will pop off and and be great and amazing. But once, you know, people start joining in and there's more competition, it goes back to economics. Right. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) there's there's uh, more demand and we're talking about less supply. So. Prices will go up, but then there's also when competition comes into the game, which I think is really definitely what's happening with crypto and will happen um, for a number of years. It's going to be like, oh, well, you know, if if Bitcoin could do it, if Ethereum could do it, 
let's do it right let's start dogecoin let's start uh what mm-hmm. is it the one that squid squid coin or whatever <laughs> squid, squid game coin. Yeah. yeah and people <laughs> suffer through that, uh, the, that shot up and everyone yeah. lost the shirt off their back off of it and that's mm-hmm. something that you have to be really cautious with and people do say don't invest what you can't afford to lose and i don't 100 percent agree with that term mm. because of my background and where I come from and mm. my community, I, I think that we are definitely not in the position where we could just invest what we can. You know, mm. we're really in the position of you must invest if you want to get out of poverty and bring your family with you, mm. you know? So so it's a different perspective for me. Uh, but all, of course, like I said, do your best to protect your money. Like, it's not like, it's really tough to, work so hard, do the research, invest into these things and then lose it. Like it defeats the whole purpose of it. So you have to be smart. You have to be cautious and and stay diversified. Mm. That's true. Yep. I love that. I love that. Um, Something else I'm super curious about is I was on your Instagram, looked in your bio and you said something about your focus on venture capital. I'm curious about that and how you got into this world in this space. Um, I can tell your passion uh, <laughs> behind it, but I- I'm curious. Um, you know, let us know some of the things that you're trying to accomplish or that you will accomplish. Yes. So I am super, super pumped about um, venture capital because everything that I've taught has been about the public markets and every way that I've invested has been through the public markets, through real. And when I say public, I just mean publicly held mm-hmm. companies, the stock market. It's a public domain, right? We, we It's public companies that are listed on there that we can all buy pieces of. But there's a whole other world, the private market world, where companies before they become big, public, amazing companies are startups and are creating new and innovative things. And that's what venture capital is about. Those small companies that are developing, that are growing, um, acquiring funding to better serve their companies and to grow their companies. And so I've been doing venture capital for um, about six months now. Mm. And it's really amazing. The reason I got into it is because some of the, the things that we've talked about, there is only so much I can say to my community in terms of save more, invest yep, yep. more, do this, do that, if the money's not coming in. And because of the wage and wealth gap there there it feels like to a lot of people that not enough money is coming in and that really truly is the truth or sometimes you feel like there's a limit on how much you can mm-hmm. earn right and so what i want to do now is really focus on private markets and making sure that the people that are creating the next facebook the next whatever it might be right uber the next all these uh, companies that have become so important in in everyone's life um are people of latin background are black people are mm-hmm. asian people um all of the minorities that have always been kept out and that get so little funding um because of those things mm. and you know those are just the facts those are the the statistics that are there and it's really hard to look at those things and and just stand back or or you know put your hands behind your back and right. not and not do anything and so that's why i'm i'm into it and yeah and and i think it's really exciting i want to be able to mentor engage with and help 
those young people. (laughs) I say young because, you know, I I think that um, it's always about the next generation, right? Well, whatever we can teach, whatever we can leave behind for them, um, but helping them truly become um, really amazing entrepreneurs. Mm. You know, like it's it's what you said about private, I'm glad that you're involved in that private capital because like uh, if you look at the statistics, like you just mentioned, of the capital that goes to minorities, it's almost nothing. It's like one percent. Mm. Like the uh, like, especially with tech companies, it's almost nothing. Mm. And that's that. The way that that works is almost impossible because it's a lot of minorities that are creating great tech. They're just not getting the capital. It's like it's. I think the number I believe I was is like one point two percent of every. Like that's the only the venture capital for tech firms is like one point two percent goes to a common. I think that's the statistic. I'm not hundred percent sure. It goes to a combination of all minorities. Wow. Yeah, it's something like that. It's a ridiculously low number. Yeah, wow. it's like, definitely less than 2%. Yeah. And it's really, really tough. And, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as I found that out, I was like, oh, no, like, no, 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 no. We got to do something about this. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how, you know, what I can do. I mean, I have an idea of what I can do and I'm working towards that. But definitely we need uh, to do that because it's just not fair. No. Um, I read something earlier that said, Talent is distributed evenly, but opportunities are not. Mm. And that definitely is what's happening when we think about the private markets. And that's where it starts. You know, if you're not, if you don't have money to raise a friends and family round to start your company because you have a family that Mm -hmm. is an immigrant family like mine that doesn't have this generational wealth how are you going to get capital? How are you going to get started? How are you going to create that little bit of traction? Right. Um, And then that's when people start to look elsewhere. And so venture capital is one of those avenues, you know, to look for investors, accredited investors that are um, willing to bet on you. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's something that's also really important that to understand that not every single startup is going to be uh, a unicorn. Not every single startup is going to be successful, but hopefully that person and that first company is going to be the one that creates maybe the second mm-hmm. or the third, sometimes the fourth company that truly becomes something that blows up and changes our lives. Mm-hmm. And even that uh, accredited investor law actually restricts you from n- not only participating in, uh, in those startup companies, but also in getting capital. Cause like, you think about somebody from an immigrant background how many, how are they going to have connections with accredited investors? Mm. You know, right. for those who don't know, accredited investor, you have to have a million dollars in assets, yeah. uh, not yeah. including your house before mm. you can invest in private companies. Mm-hmm. So you, so if I'm a person looking for capital, I have to get people that are accredited investors. I can't like, friends and family is okay, but I think you can't like, you, I can't get money from like, 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 you know, do a conference and ask people for money unless they're accredited investors. Mm-hmm. And that, right. that restricts it, it restricts your people greatly. You know, and if you don't know anybody, then where are you going to get the money from? You know, Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's so interesting because it's you, how are you supposed to know these people? Right. And yeah. how are you able, how would you even know that that's what you need in order yeah. to become mm-hmm. a credit investor? Like even something as simple as that is, is not common knowledge. Mm-mm. And, um, it's designed that way. Yeah, that's, it's designed I believe so. to keep us out, and it sucks. And and I and there's tons of people that I know in the BC world that are really making 
doing their best to make changes so that there are other ways around it and people can be uh, accredited investors. Uh, But there's also really great ways that you can start even right now, even if you're not, even if you're not, you don't have that $200,000 income per year or that million dollar net worth outside of your primary home, you can still invest into startup companies and that's where crowdfunding comes in. So I definitely encourage people to explore crowdfunding where, you know, um, websites like republic.co will post these these companies and what they're doing. And if you believe in them, invest in them and and look for people of color, look for Latinos, look for black people that are creating things and invest in them because we we have to participate. We have to make those changes. Obviously, there's a huge system that has tons of control. um, But I also think that there's a lot that we can do as individuals, especially when we come together and we talk about these things. Mm. Well said, well said. Did you have any other questions? I'm good. We can start wrapping this thing up. You know, it, it's definitely been a pleasure having you on. Before you go, we wanted you to dive a little deeper into uh, what you're doing on Investing in Latina and some of the workshops that you um, are offering to the people out there. Um, hopefully some of our audience will take advantage of what you have to offer. So let the people know about that. Yeah, you can find me on all social platforms mm-hmm. as Investing Latina. Definitely be careful with the scammers that are out there because as soon as I'm you sorry. talk about money, they come for you. Uh, <laughs> but it's literally Investing Latina on all socials. And I teach the investing workshop. It's available in English and in Spanish right on my website. So even if you're listening to this and you have uh, a mom or dad or Thea that is interested in getting started and you don't have the time to explain stuff to them, you could definitely send them my way. Um, but yeah, the workshop is is really awesome. And I also have a lot of free resources. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I have guides on my website and I have a YouTube channel. So you can always check that out. Um, there's a lot of questions that I have gotten asked that are already answered on the YouTube channel. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's how you can reach me. And if any, if you would like to work with me on some sort of partnership, you can email me at investinglatina at gmail.com. And you're in New York? Yeah, I'm in New York. Oh, I live in Yonkers. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, dope. So before you go, one last question. Uh, we always ask our guests, who is one guest that you feel needs to be on the Latin Wealth podcast. And the only rule is you have to know this person. <laughs> you have to be able to contact them. So let us know who needs to be on the podcast. Um, yeah. Ooh, oh my gosh. <laughs> let me see. Out of my network, who do I know that definitely needs to be on the podcast? Um, I would say uh, Roslyn okay. from Urban Teach. Um, I partnered with her recently. We did a live uh, session, like a seminar, and she goes as Urban Teach on Instagram and on socials. She's so smart mm. and she really focuses on real estate. And uh, I think she's an awesome person. So I would definitely make the connection and have her join on to the show and and teach you the things and teach the audience the things that she has learned. Uh, she's super dope. Yeah, we would really appreciate that. Um... Armando, do you have anything else? I don't have anything. Yep. On that note, we really appreciate you once again for jumping on, giving us a piece of your time. You know, it's, it's getting late in New York right now. So so thank you once again. And with that being said, it's your boy Chris. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Thanks.